Hi, I'm Spro, and welcome to another Be Kind Rewind episode of Second Chance Cinema, this time with a special guest, Jeremy. The show starts off with our old episode, recorded back in 2018. Around halfway through, we inserted an interview we did with Jeremy, 2020, who just so happened to be working at Universal when they were releasing the film. Bear in mind, the hosts do swear, and we will spoil somewhat of the ending, but mainly, we will talk about the greatness of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Enjoy the show. Troopers, I just received new orders. Our superiors say the war is canceled. We can all go home. Bison is getting paid off for his crimes. And our friends who have died here will have died for nothing. But we can all go home. Meanwhile, ideals like peace, freedom, and justice, they get packed up, but we can all go home. Well, I'm not going home. I'm gonna get on my boat, and I'm going upriver, and I'm going to kick that son of a bitch bison's ass so hard that the next bison wannabe is gonna feel it. Now, who wants to go home and who wants to go with me? All right, friends. Welcome back to Second Chance Cinema. I am MC. Hello, I am Spro. And today we have a special treat for you because we're going to review a movie that I believe gets so much hate that is unnecessary and well, that's why we're here i know that's basically <laughs> the mission of the show is because we want to give love to those movies that deserve a second chance hence the name of the title and this is one of those special podcasts when we sat down at applebee's shout out to applebee's we were trying to come up with a list of movies that we thought would be great for our podcast and mc put out this one and i was like yeah every once in a while we should have a host show where one host you know pitches the other one to the other host because i have a slew of movies that i think mc would probably either hasn't seen or doesn't like as much as me this is your baby right and i was like oh i haven't seen that since the theaters and you're like i want to do it and i was like all right then that's this right. will be a, a special kind of episode so we'll still continue with the tradition of playing the trailer even though there's no reveal but my thought is that the trailer would probably be a pretty big reveal anyway so <laughs> it usually is let's just go ahead and play the trailer and during the trailer i will go ahead and i will write my uh traditional Japanese haiku that summarizes my feelings about the film. So here is the trailer for Street Fighter. After seven months of fighting, the civil war in Shadaloo may have reached the turning point. The capital has just fallen. In December 1994, the forces of freedom will face a power-mad dictator in a struggle for the fate of the world.
I'm going to kick Bison's ass. I don't think so. You have to do better than that. Okay. Now, who wants to go home, and who wants to go with me? Okay, so it actually didn't say the name. It didn't. But it said the word ass, which for the time was probably pretty scandalous. Here's the haiku. Great video game. Raul Julia's last movie, Via Con Dios. Aw, that's a sad one. That's why a lot of people hate on this movie, because they're like, oh, he he deserved better, and blah, blah, blah. He's awesome in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you started there, because he is much like I find one person to track in every movie, like I did Adrian Brody in The Village. Mm -hmm. This movie is his vehicle. I don't know what people's problem with him is exactly, is that he's too cartoony or too over the top top or maybe it's that he's too far removed from like the m bison character from the video games which granted he is but he's still awesome he's still like psychotic right which i think is perfect way to play it he's a master actor he did his work the trivia on him is he took aspects of napoleon and aspects of stalin and mussolini he's got a clown painting in his room yep. which is based off of the serial killer john, john wayne gacy, gacy yep. you know like he brought everything to this role do you think he knew it was his last i mean he was battling stomach cancer at the time i was gonna say they there's always i've always read stories about how he was sick while he was filming and how it was a bear for him to get to the set and stuff like that he must have had some idea probably not hoping that it would be his last but wanting to go out on a high note Mm -hmm. and like he brought it he really did like every time he's on the screen he gets wackier and wackier but in that like menacing sense you can't fault him every decision he makes he rolls with in Mm -hmm. this film he hasn't phoned in a moment of it even a man dying of stomach cancer doing fight choreography like he's not holding back on his punches he's really going at it right and on the other side of the coin the reason why probably most critics did not critics and fans alike did not necessarily like this film we have jean-claude van damme as colonel guile who is the balls out american colonel with a french accent (laughs) And a big American flag tattoo that looks like it was drawn with finger paint. I like that tattoo. Actually. I did too. But I mean, it, if I had biceps, I would totally rock it. I mean, it's a great tattoo, but it it's so bright. <laughs> it's just so bright. It looks like he let his daughter like put stickers all over him, and that was the last one he peeled off. Yeah, it does kind of look like a uh, one of those tattoos that you soak with yeah. water. So his performance perhaps left a little bit to be desired in the game video game that this movie's based off of colonel guile is basically that he's like an air force colonel who's just a badass and he's got cool moves and in the game he's got this really strange hair that that kind of plumes out like a mushroom and in the movie he was just like an average army colonel like there wasn't anything super special about what he did other than the fact that every now and then like a newspaper headline or a reporter would tell you oh the courageous colonel guile and the valiant (laughs) colonel guile he's got 
Van Dam himself has natural charisma, but beyond yeah, that, he wasn't enough. he wasn't anything like as over the top as Raul Julia. No, yeah, he's got his own Braveheart moment. Oh yeah, I auditioned for a drama club. I think it might have been in high school with that speech. Really? Oh yeah. The war is canceled. Yeah, <laughs> I can't yeah. even do his accent. The war is canceled, but we can all go home. What a surprise! Welcome to the Shadaloo Front. You're just in time for the kickoff. I'm afraid not, Colonel. The Security Council has just voted. They've decided to negotiate. You're joking. We think we can deal with General Bison. You're instructed to call off the assault. Contact him. Request an extension of his deadline. We are prepared to pay the ransom demand. Twenty billion dollars? What will prevent him from taking more hostages next month and asking for fifty billion? One hundred billion? Colonel. Have you lost your mind? No. You've lost your balls. <laughs> yep. He's got the rasp to it. Had a drug problem during this movie. Right, because they were I remember they said they filmed this in Thailand and he would go out and get hookers and stuff all the time. And Kylie Minogue. And and yeah. He had an extramarital affair with Kylie Minogue who plays Cammy. Mm-hmm. That's another thing about the movie that gets crapped on a lot is the fact that they tried to shoehorn in a lot of characters and they did there are a lot of characters from the video game that just kind of got thrown into the mix for the sake of saying yeah we put that guy in the movie so are you an expert not an expert in the video game but you know a lot about the video yeah. game mm-hmm. blanca yeah biggest probably departure from the video game okay. that there was because in- i remember playing them well one i was i was a young impressionable kid and for some reason i just went okay green people in brazil like that's just that's what happens in brazil right does he have a story from what i remember about the video game blanca was a child whose plane crash landed in brazil and he was then raised by animals like raised by like he got his electricity by being raised by electric eels and they taught him how to like harness the electricity of his body i forget why he's green and furry maybe just because he's like feral he definitely was not guile's best friend who was chemically experimented on by raul julia which is who he is in the movie now that said that's not a terrible arc to play where Van Damme's best friend gets captured and then experimented on. And then at the end, there's a showdown between the two of them. Right. But the way they pulled that off was pretty bad. It was an interesting moment in the movie because Van Damme has his gun on his best friend. Like his best friend is like, help me, help me. And, and he's about like, to put him out of his <laughs> he's about to old yeah. him. And I was like, you kidding me? This is where this movie is going? So I was, I'll admit, I was on the edge of my seat with that moment because I was like, he is not going to shoot his best friend in the head. And that kind of gives you an insight into Van Damme's character. Like, okay. He didn't even consider it. He didn't even think like, hmm, can we reverse this? Like, are there, you know, maybe we've got some good doctors back on the base. I mean, he went from hug to gun. He did. He went from, he didn't even, he didn't even hug him. He he just like looked into his eyes and he's like, I'll help them or I'll help you. Charlie. Then I'll make them pay. So he, yeah, he was about to shoot his best friend in the head. And right before that, as he's driving on to Bison's base in his stealth boat, which we can get to later, he's he's watching a video reminiscing of him of him and Charlie just rabble rousing or whatever they were doing. Right, and I heard like that's part of the game history is that Charlie is somebody that died. Charlie is a character in the later game, Street Fighter, the later game. So another question is because what intrigued me was this movie is based off of Street Fighter Two, the video game. Right. Street Fighter One exists probably. It, it exists. It's just it it was under the radar and. 
it wasn't great. It wasn't very good. But some of the characters like Ken and Ryu are are in it. And I think Sagat is in it. Wes Studi. <laughs> but the rest of the characters that we're talking about. So like DJ, for example. my One of my favorite parts of the film. What was? DJ. Oh, uh, why? The actor that plays him. Just the comic relief? Yeah. And I really like that actor. And he does not He does a whole lot of TV. Joanna Mann, you mean? Was he in Joanna Mann? He was Joanna Mann. His name Man. is Miguel A. Nunez Jr. He's one of those faces where you see, you're like, oh, that guy. With, yeah, Second Chance Cinema deals a lot with that guy. That guy. You know, like, oh, that guy. In the game, he's a gigantically buff Jamaican kickboxer. Oh, really? And in the movie, he's basically Bison's tech support. <laughs> he sits at a desk and he tells Bison when the computer's gone down and when, like, they're tracking the satellite and stuff like that. This movie takes you up through the characters from the game Super Street Fighter 2. That's where the characters cut off. And there's one character who's missing. His name's Fei Long, and he's basically a Bruce Lee ripoff. He's an Asian movie star who looks like Bruce Lee and fights like oh, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Fei Long. Everybody else is in it in some degree. Some of them are just not well-placed. Like T-Hawk, the big Native American like Superman in the game, is like Guile's second-in-command, and he's just this tall, lanky guy who happens to wear like a Cherokee Indian headband. They just gave him the name. And they just called him T-Hawk. Just shoehorn him in. Yeah, I don't even think they say his name until like late in the movie, and you're like, oh, that's T-Hawk? <laughs> but then some of the other ones, like Cammy, who was Ch- Kylie Minogue, was, was believable. Chun-Li was a little bit left to be desired because she played a reporter, which had nothing to do with her story from the game. It was 20 years ago. You hadn't promoted yourself to general yet. You were just a petty drug lord. You and your gang of murderers gathered your small ounce of courage to raid across the border for food, weapons, (laughs) slave labor. My father was the village magistrate. A simple man with a simple code, justice. He gathered the few people that he could to stand against you. (laughs) You and your bullies were driven back by farmers with pitchforks. (laughs) My father saved his village at the cost of his own life. You had him shot as you ran away. A hero at a thousand paces. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. I think also Chun-Li playing the game when I was probably, you know, just starting my teenage years. It was on Super Nintendo. Chun-Li was, she was hot. Oh, yeah. She Her outfit went up her thigh mm-hmm. to her hip. She was scandalous for how old we were. Yeah, absolutely. She was a little bit more reserved in the movie. Looked it up. The, the actress played the, Mulan. 
<laughs> the f- oh, really? Yeah, she's Mulan. The funny thing about the movie is, and I like this part, is that in the game, they're all known for their, their costumes. Ken is very familiar in his red karate gi. Uh, Ryu wears a white one. Chun-Li has the outfit you were just talking about. In the movie, Bison gives them all their outfits. Like, when Bison captures Chun-Li, he makes her put on that dress. <sighs> he gives Ken and Ryu their, their geese when they're, like, undercover trying to infiltrate his operation. And I thought that was kind of a cool little twist. Right. And I think this is one of those trivia films, you know, where people that have played the game are going to watch it for those little... So I think that anybody that's played the game is going to be looking for what they liked about the game. I hear what you're saying when... If a character is not how you picture them in the game, that's nothing to to not like the movie over. But the character that I played when I played Street Fighter 2 was Ken. Me too. I didn't like how Ken was in this film. No, they were hustlers, like trying to deal weapons and stuff like that. Him and him and Ryu together, which in the movie in the game, they the story is that they trained together, but then there was like a falling out or something. So I would say they were pretty big victims of of what was some character assassination there. Not to be harassed, but (laughs) Ken was blonde. Like that's why I played him in the game because I'm a blonde guy. Oh, okay, okay. I don't consider that blonde. Okay, no. I know that's a big, or that's a little hang up to get on, but for some reason, as a kid, I was like, that's not a blonde person like me. No, (laughs) no, you're right. I mean... I, n- I never would have thought that about you. I never would have, uh, you know, considered you to be so judgmental. I'm on a the Harris. Ha- uh, yeah, I guess. I, I guess mean, you blonde, are. We're, we're, you're a redhead. I am. We're dying breeds. Yeah, and so you picked. I mean, I suppose you picked a good reason. I can, I can, <laughs> I can get on board with that. But one of the reasons that this film is so dear to me is because I saw it at a birthday party. It was like the birthday party was like, take us to the movies. This was in 1994, so I would have been like 13 years old. I saw it, and when I saw it the first time, I loved it. I was, I don't know if I was just like stupid kid in awe or if all the great things that that I can appreciate about it now struck me or whatever, and so I wanted to see it again. By the next week, it was out of theaters, except for one theater in Parma, which was probably about, at the time, 20 miles away, and my mom drove me out there to see it and oh. sat with me and watched Street Fighter for the second time. And nice. that's that's one of the only movies I've ever seen twice in the theater, and it was a very special experience because my mom took me. So I definitely have a sentimental place in my heart for this, uh, people would call an otherwise crappy movie. <laughs> Because the only theater it was playing at was, for whatever reason, like 20 miles away. And we still went to go see it. And it was just as awesome. So now I love it. I have the poster in my house. Just one of those movies that like I'm, I might not be able to convince you that you should like it. But I will never, ever lay down in the challenge that it's bad. I mean, I remember as a kid... We would quote the trailer before the movie came out. Like, I remember play fighting in the backyard. And then one of my friends would be like, you're going to have to do better than that. And the other friend would go, okay. You'll have to do better than that. Okay. That's awesome. (laughs) 
<laughs> trailer obviously left a big impression on you. I'm a huge trailer guy. I get antsy if I think I'm going to miss the trailers on the way to the movie. And even now that they're 20 minutes long and you probably can miss a couple. Right. Like, I, I want to see all the trailers. I want to experience trailers. Right. I, w- I want to test your trivia a little bit. Okay. Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. has a bump in his forehead. Yeah. What is that bump? It's a cyst. It, that's a cyst? Yeah. It doesn't get removed? It's one of two things. I've heard him say it's a cyst and it just kind of like it's inflamed sometimes and then other times it doesn't. It's like less noticeable. I also have heard a story that he tried to break a brick with his head and that was the result. That's what it it looks like to me. It looks like scar tissue. But yeah, it is. It is a noticeable bump on his head. Was this a commercial success? No, yes. I, I was it. It well made three times its budget. Really? Mm-hmm. I think the budget was around like thirty million, and it made ninety in the box office. Wow! People went out to see it. Did not know that. That's yeah. Well, see, there you go. People obviously flocked to it for at least two weekends. This one was probably easy for you, Zangief. Mm-hmm. Where have you seen him before? He was Andrew in Brian uh, Nar- Nierski. Uh, he was in the program. Uh-huh. I remember him specifically as Latimer in the program. Which is a great movie. Great movie. He was also in, he, he played a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know <laughs> yes. which one. I think in the, the Jessica Biel one. Maybe, yeah. Um, I really like as a horror film. Is there another one, an obvious one that I'm not thinking of? No, it was pretty much the program. Okay, yeah, then the program. He played Latimer in the program, and he was awesome. I did look it up because I was like, is he in Bloodsport? Like, is he that guy? No, in no, 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 no. Those no, are two different two people. Two different guys. But they should play brothers at some yeah, point. They can, yeah, they can. Yeah, yeah. This is harder. This is a little Jean-Claude Van Damme trivia. He was sued by an extra or in a film. What did he willfully do to the extra during filming? In order to get sued? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I hope it's not anything like sinister. I don't know. Tickled his balls? <laughs> Which is not sinister, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, no, he willfully gouged out the eye of an extra during the fight in Cyborg. Really? Mm-hmm, and got sued for it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> of course you're going to get That's gross. <laughs> I'd say that's warranted. I hope the extra one. I think he did. I think we're going to start getting into appreciation shows where we just pick a person that doesn't get enough love in mm. the industry for, for an episode. Mm-hmm. I think we can make the case somewhere down the line for a Jean-Claude Van Damme appreciation. Because he's right there running the mill. Yeah. He's made several um, good movies Yeah, that I would recommend that people probably don't see anymore. They're not on anybody's repertoire. Right. Um, because I would recommend pretty much every movie that you just put down. Not a strong actor. No, he's not, like, he's not Daniel Day-Lewis. No, I'm, but I mean, like, I remember when Time Cop came out and somebody, I, I would go to see movies like on opening day and a friend would be like, how did you like Time Cop? And I was like, you know what? It's his first film that has like a really good plot, you know? Yeah. Where I think when Street Fighter came out, Everybody was expecting kind of like another blood sport because that's what the kind video of, game yeah. was. And the, and, the, and Street Street Fighter was one of the first video game movies to come out. I think Super Mario Brothers came out, then Street Fighter, and they were both lauded as terrible. And then Mortal Kombat came out, and people were like, "Oh, Mortal Kombat was awesome," and it was. Mortal Kombat got it right. Like that was a good adaptation. There weren't too many video game movies when Street Fighter had come out. And I think what people need to realize is the writer-director of Street Fighter 
wasn't going to do a Bloodsport Mortal Kombat movie. Right. This guy did The Running Man, Commando, 48 Hours, Die Hard, another yep. 48 Hours, Die Hard 2. Yep. He was, he is a writer, Hudson Hawk, he's a writer and he's going to put story in it. And I right. think that kind of anybody that was a Street Fighter fan who was just trying to show up for fight scenes, sadly enough, didn't like plot, wasn't looking for a plot. It reminds me of the episode of Jurassic Park 3 with the Indonesian reviewer who said, if you, oh, yeah. if you do not ignore the plot, you will enjoy this movie. And I feel like Street Fighter fans who went to see this movie wanted to ignore the plot. The plot leaves a little bit to be desired for sure, but it was still a plot. The plot is pretty simple. It's M. Bison takes hostages and Guile has to go rescue them, basically. And M. Bison wants to start his own city. Oh, that's the other thing. That's the other thing I'm glad you brought up. In this movie, there are so many props that reflect M. Bison's decor. So like all of his troopers have like masks that are shaped like the bison symbol. He's got currency with his face on it. (laughs) He's got chairs and couches and all these things that are just completely like bisonized. Mm -hmm. And what always blows my mind, and I'll say this about any movie where there's like a logo on something or or whatever in the movie universe somebody had to make that for him like he had to call up m bison in the movie had to call up like a uniform store and say hey uh i need these custom helmets that look like this logo can you quote me on a bulk price and and photoshopping and currency and and, <laughs> and somebody had to make that that money for him somebody had to like yeah basically somebody had to like photoshop his face onto a dollar bill and then print a million of them and it always blows my mind when i see these elaborate movie costumes like stormtroopers like somebody in space has to make stormtrooper <laughs> armor which is horrible armor by the way it does not it protect doesn't protect either. anything <laughs> and there's a whole just repository of these in movie, in character, in plot specialty stores that must exist somewhere to make all of this gear for these bad guys. This is a fascinating thought process. Right? That I want to like inherit with every movie I watch. So now the next time you see a movie, like the next time you see Street Fighter. Street Fighter or like G.I. Joe even, you know, all the logo all the Cobra logos and all the Cobra masks and, you know, the fact that it says Cobra on the side of the tank. Someone had to make that decal in the movie. Like do you think it's one company making evil evil stuff i don't know and it's not always evil i mean it's not it's not always i'm trying to think of an example where it's like a good thing but somebody like there's you know how like we have silk screening shops around here that'll silk screen your t-shirts right there has to be that type of business in m bison's universe it's gotta be like an m bison etsy shop Uh, exactly (laughs) exactly there has to be an m bison etsy shop somewhere that he ordered all of his troopers helmets from their uniforms their patches and somebody and that that leads me one step further to like what's the duty of the the patch maker say or the helmet maker to report this guy to the authorities like hey so there's this guy hey 911 so there's this guy who he requested about a thousand patches of a big skull with the world behind it and <laughs> um, wings coming out of it do we need to be worried about that like is that is this a patriot act kind of thing <laughs> and none of that ever happens nor is it ever explained maybe it just finds easily duped people maybe i mean like, what's with all this what's with all this currency ah i'm sorry my own casino uh, yeah i mean it's <laughs> it's, it's a just, party it's, it's a, a, it's a party. gag it's a gag 
the currency didn't bother me so much because you can make counterfeit currency, but the the helmets and just the the grandiose display of his symbol and his logo everywhere and his name and his name and everything like even his drinking glasses had an m bison symbol on them which is like yes he had to go to etsy and have that made (laughs) and that that always crosses my mind when i see big movies like that where they have um you know props and stuff that are designed specifically after character Mm -hmm. i love that that's 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 a tangent that i'm (laughs) glad that i got off on because i've been i've been wanting to share that with somebody for a long time i and those are like those ideas like i want saturday night live to pick it up and just have that running thing of like oh now we're at the the m bison evil right now we have to make darth vader stormtrooper assembly line right exactly that's what it has to be an assembly line of these helmets and these and designers and designers the designer story is what in, i want to see injection molding which you know comes from overseas like do like, they have an evil tim gun sitting around it's got to be something <laughs> like that where they've got and and how how excited is bison on delivery day like when when all the helmets show up he's like or angry right, guys or angry maybe they don't look right right maybe you they're know? blue He's like, blue is what Guile wears. Yeah, I could probably talk about that for hours. That's one thing that I feel like I'm the only one who's ever picked up on that. Thank you for sharing it with me. So now you're going to notice it in every in every big budget movie you see. You're going to notice that that the props. And somebody had to make them and not a prop. You know, like get somebody outside. In, the, somebody in the movie universe, in the universe had to make those. In the current political climate, you can make parallels. Sure. Especially with him putting his name on everything. Sure. Um, Not to get into politics, but it was astounding to me how similar you can paint things. Mm. Like I said, like this was your your pitch. Yep. And I walked away being like, I'm so glad I'm doing this podcast with MC so I can visit movies like this. So right now we've got Congo, then The Village, then Boiler Room, then Jurassic Park 3, then Saving Silverman. I'm going to forego my nostalgia kick on this movie, and I'm going to put it at number four. So I'm going to knock down Jurassic Park 3 to number five and knock Saving Silverman off the board. Sad. This is like the first hard one because we're going to lose something. It is sad. Well, the only thing we can lose is saving silverman right so or street fighter or street fighter true so we either do or we don't and it's gonna come down to i think we put street fighter at number five because of julia's performance okay so saving silverman is gone off the board it's gone into the the pool of still kick-ass movies not gone from our hearts no just gone from the board all right so the new board reads congo the village boiler room jurassic park three street fighter i can live with that and Taylor Nichols likes three of those movies that's on that list. That's because he's in them. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Oh, yeah. A little story is that Harry Renard reached out to the show. Harry Renard from Boiler Room. Right. Character from Boiler His, Room. The actor's name is Taylor Nichols. You could find him at Taylor underscore Nichols 7 on Twitter. We urge all followers to go follow him and say Second Chance Cinema sent them as new fans of his. Right. Because he was in Congo. He was in Jurassic Park 3 as Laura Dern's husband. Right. And he was in Boiler Room as the guy that Antonino Rabisi Fs over. Right. He's a that guy. He's definitely that guy, and he's awesome because he he followed the show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, which you should do too on Twitter. Okay, so special treat for all you street fighters out there. We have our frequent guest of the show, our our good friend Jeremy, award winning published author, and in this case, a 
historian, in a sense, with a very unique connection to the film Street Fighter. Jeremy, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you all doing today? Wonderful. We're talking about Street Fighter, which, as you know, is in many top top five lists for me, not the least of which is my top five favorite movies of all time. Jeremy actually got me one of the greatest presents I've ever received. It's a four-movie collection DVD of Jean-Claude Van Damme. The four movies are Street Fighter, Time Cop, The Quest, and Hard Target. And if you were ever going to funnel jcvd's career into a at the time probably five dollar bin at walmart dvd collection like those would be them now you can't find it for like less than 50 bucks on the internet can't find it Um, anywhere and the amazing thing is too when they do those four movie sets it's always like three good movies and then a really crappy movie you know it's like you know if you did like a liam neeson collection you get like taken like taken two and then like nonstop, and then then they throw like rob roy or something it's like oh great (laughs) The Liam Neeson collection. It's like, oh, awesome. I'm so curious why you went with Liam Neeson. (laughs) So, Jeremy, you take us back. Take us back to days of yore and explain to us exactly why you're the perfect guest to talk about Street Fighter. Well, I was there from the ground up in some ways. I was an intern in Universal Pictures Publicity Department in the fall of 1994 as the – Jean-Claude Van Damme train was really ramping up and really arriving at the station of, of success because we had Time Cop. He had, as you know, he had two movies come out in 94 and he was coming on the heels of Hard Target. That was his breakthrough. And then he did Time Cop and then Street Fighter was due to open at Christmas. I think Time Cop opened in September or October. And by Van Damme standards, it was a hit. And everybody at Universal was buzzing. Like Van Damme was going to be the next Arnold. Like this was going to be his Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It was like, Street Fighter is it. And after Street Fighter, he was filming at the time, I believe, he was either filming or he was writing it, and he was in like pre-production on The Quest, and that was his directorial debut. And so they were like, and that was, and I'm not even kidding, that was being talked about as like legit his Dances with Wolves, like his <laughs> passion project. <laughs> like how Kevin Costner had this vision of doing this movie, and he put it all together himself, and he started it, and he wrote it, and he directed it and it was like his thing and it was the same thing it was like you know Jean-Claude really feels passionate about the story and he wants to tell the story of the world and we think this is really coming on the heels who is who um, is talking to you who is telling you these things like the head of publicity I can't remember his name right now you don't know I don't want to hear his name just I just yeah. want to hear like this is 1994 so I'm imagining like six button suit slick backed hair that's kind of like two years too late gordon gecko he's got like a cigar with one of those white things on the end so you don't actually have to touch it with your lips like just set the scene a little more so yeah we'd have these meetings he had a big one of those big desks that was like uh, just a glass like a glass table one of my jobs was to get the papers and like any mention of universal i had to clip the article and like put it on his desk and having time coppers in the news this morning or whatever it was anything even if there was like a page six mention like Jean-Claude was seen clubbing with so-and-so or whatever like any mention of anything related to Universal so then we had these meetings and we'd go through like the, the rundown of movies that were coming out and everything and it was this I mean you have to go back to like fall of 94 I know The River Wild was a movie that was coming out with Meryl Streep uh, if you remember that and Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a hot one and so there were so we talked about whatever movies were coming out but the one thing and Junior the Schwarzenegger movie <laughs> 
came out. That was another one. The one thing that everyone talked about was Jean-Claude Van Damme and how he was about to blow up and Street Fighter was going to be the engine of Jean-Claude Van Damme's phenomenal Hollywood success. And he was, because I mean, really, Arnold was still the guy at that point. He he had Terminator and then True Lies had come out the previous summer. And so Arnold was, you know, the big name in action cinema still, even in the 90s. You could argue he was kind of on the downward slope by that point. So this is his bell curve. Bloodsport was obviously the first. That was 1988. Mm-hmm. Then there were, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six films in between that were all basically the same. Jean-Claude Van Damme fights bad guys. Yeah. Okay. Then we got to Universal Soldier, which, ah, you know, so mixed fe- mixed feelings from a lot of people, but at least sort of like a departure into the sci-fi genre and sort of an interesting premise. And, you know, he got to do some acting with the flashbacks and all that kind of stuff. Then right. we go one, two. He had a cameo in the last action hero. Then Hard Target, nineteen ninety three. He then, had nowhere to run too with uh, Kieran right. Culkin. That was kind of like again making him a little bit more sympathetic, kind of a leading man. I remember. I don't remember who the the leading lady in that was. But Rosanna Arquette. More. There you go. Yeah, was that and that then, one? Yeah. Okay. Time Cop, Street Fighter, then Sudden Death, which was certainly not terrible. Great tagline. Terror goes into overtime. That was 95. A cameo uh, on an episode of Friends, and then The Quest in 1996. Now, The Quest, and I know we're talking about Street Fighter, but The Quest is certainly not going to be preserved in the Library of Congress. But yeah. it was set up in a way that it's it's a tournament movie, and it was set up in the way that like the original Ultimate Fighting Championship was. Like, What would happen if a sumo wrestler fought a boxer? If a Taekwondo guy fought a Judo master, it was centered around this tournament that was held in the Lost City. And one of my favorite parts of that movie is like they go to the Lost City and they have to take like a special boat to get there. And it's, you know, not on any maps or whatever. And then like the grandmaster of the tournament who's decked out in just really, really emphatic ancient Asian garb. And he's got the Paimei mustache and everything like that. And everybody's waiting to hear him speak. And he's like, welcome to the tournament, everyone. We're so glad you're here. Here in the Lost City, we greet our first heroes. Like, okay, so this guy speaks perfect English in the Lost City uh, that nobody knows where anything is. But Street Fighter, as his tour de force, then followed by the quest, how do you ever try to like convince yourself of something by just saying it over and over? (laughs) What would you say is best top three Jean-Claude Van Damme films? Hard target, hard target, hard target. (laughs) (laughs) I would say Time Cop and maybe, maybe, then it'd be a toss up for me between Street Fighter and Sudden Death. He kind of had that incredible run of like four movies in a row that were just all, whether they're good movies or not, you know, you could debate, but they were all perfect Van Damme movies. Again, we're getting back to like we talked about with Michael Bay and, and during that time, what he did, he did really well. Hey, punk, I've been slaving all day making that slop. Fucking it is. The question is, how are you going to pay for it? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Ain't that cute? I'm gonna bust your head, punk. I don't want to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> Me? You don't want to hurt Hank? <laughs> <laughs> Just want to eat. What was and the then, one that he, he had a twin? There are three movies in which he plays twins. Let me see if I can name all of them without looking. 
Double Impact, Replicant, and uh, what's the other one? Maximum Risk. Maximum Risk, yeah. See, I really liked his films that had like, like I liked uh, Nowhere to Run, Maximum Risk, Universal Soldier, Bloodsport would probably be like, and then Hard Target would be like my top five. As kids watching those, like that was just the shit. He wasn't gigantic and humongous like Schwarzenegger. He was a repackaging of the Arnold model and he did it well. Well, that was the the angle that they were going for. And from my inside information in my publicity time was that women liked Van Damme more than they liked Arnold. Arnold was seen as intimidating and was seen as, you know, kind of more for men. And Van Damme had, you know, a little bit more appeal to women. They were putting him on like, you know, the Today Show and like, you know, Regis and Kathy Lee and like really trying to like kind of have him be on some of those morning shows that more housewives would watch. You know what Van Damme was good at was believing him as an underdog in a fight is a lot more, is a lot easier than Arnold. Like you see like, you know, the henchman punching Arnold around and you're like, come on, like, what are you going to do? Unless Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is one of the henchmen. It's not entirely believable. So Street Fighter, when we did the original episode, we highlighted as much we could Raul Julia's performance as Bison. <laughs> did anyone at the studio give a shit about Bison or was it all just JCVD? Especially because it was Raul Julia's last film. It was. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they honored him by putting Viacon Dios at the end of the credits, <laughs> which was nice. Um, for Raul, Viacon Dios, which very thoughtful, very thoughtful. Any, any word on that? The Raul Julia component was seen as giving the movie legitimacy because, <laughs> you know, he was, if not an Oscar winner, at the very least a nominee for Kiss of the Spider Woman. And he was obviously, you know, in the Adams Family movies, which were big successes. So Raul Julia was seen as like a huge get. was like, so on Raul Julia's coattails, Colonel Bison's coattails, Jean-Claude Van Damme will General Bison, General Bison. Have some I'm respect. sorry. I'm very sorry. You're right. He, I know. On his coattails, he would rise to great success. So the idea was really being in a movie where Raul Julia is the villain. And it was also seen as like similar to um, Alan Rickman in Die Hard, you know, a serious classically trained, respected actor That's stepping into the role of the villain will elevate the whole movie. Huh. And uh, there was so much hope pinned on Street Fighter because you had Raul Julia, you know, you had Van Damme who was who was big. And then Steven D'Souza was the writer. Uh, he was the director at the very least. He may not have been the writer. I don't remember. But And he wrote Die Hard. So again, it was like all the pieces were coming into play. So this movie was a financial success. It made worldwide three times its production costs and then home video releases, TV broadcasts, blah, 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 165 million on a $35 million budget. And every bit of that $35 million was spent. I can guarantee you that. Probably most of it on his American flag tattoo. I'm looking at posters for Street Fighter, and nowhere on any of the posters does it say Academy Award nominee Raul Julia. You think they would like, I mean, maybe because it's an action movie and it was aimed more at like teenage boys who probably didn't care about that, but that seems like a missed opportunity. I think so. I definitely think so. I'm also looking at the cast. Beyond JCVD and Raul Julia, we have Kylie Minogue, the locomotion. Miguel A. Nunez Jr., uh, who you might remember from Joanna Man, starring as DJ. And then Wes Studi, who pops up every now and then uh, in movies like this one. And oh, I just had it. Now I lost it. What's the one where he's on the boat and the creature with Treat Williams, Deep Rising? Deep Rising. Um, oh, God. Don't sleep on Wes Studi. But ultimately, Benny, I think. Benny the Jet Urquidez, also in this movie. Oh, yeah, he was as a, yes. as a Sagat gang member. Awesome. <laughs> 
for the original Mortal Kombat video game, Jean-Claude Van Damme was supposed to be the character of Johnny Cage. He was supposed to be the digitized character on like they were going to they were going to capture his motions and hit and hit and pixelate his image and he was going to be johnny cage and then i don't know if he was going to be actually jean-claude van damme or if he was going to be the johnny cage character but then basically the johnny cage character became a spoof slash tribute to jean-claude van damme who would then go on to star in street fighter which is kind of like the rival franchise so it all comes around karma comes back and all that sort of thing when street fighter was panned in the way that it was jeremy what was the reaction from your bosses everything just went quiet on It literally was like one day Jean-Claude Van Damme is going to be the king of Hollywood. Jean-Claude Van Damme, he he is on a, on a rocket ride to Venus and we've got to get on board right now while the getting's good to, okay, what do we got coming up next? What's the next movie? Because we're over that. He went from being talked about every day to not being mentioned at all, basically. I think the quest just quietly was released in theaters. Either way, I was not there for Sudden Death, which came out the following Christmas. Mm-hmm. But I think there was still hope that maybe Sudden Death, because it was directed by Peter Hyams, who also did Time Cop, that maybe that might right the ship a little bit. That Street Fighter was a setback, but not the uh, knockout punch. And then I think Sudden Death after that, then, then the quest. And it was like, okay, maybe this isn't going to happen. Let's not marginalize Van Damme's career. I mean, he's a bona fide star. He's got a statue in Brussels, I think. But Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, I, I genuinely feel like like I don't know where he begins and where all the characters end kind of thing. Right. Especially since JCVD and like the thing he did on Prime, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. He's just going for it wherever he can. He was excellent in uh, Expendables 2 as the villain. I really oh, thought, you know, he that's I still think that's the best of the three Expendables movies that they made. Pretty handily. I think that it's, it's almost not really even a contest. He was really good in that movie and I, I had hoped that it would kind of ignite a new phase for him where he was going to be able to appear in more action movies and maybe play more villains and diversify and do other things and but it didn't quite bring him back to the a-list you know as we had maybe hoped it would and that's the thing about street fighter is that yeah he you're right he was a star and he is a star and he's legit in every way but the expectations versus the reality were two very different things. The expectation was that he was going to become a megastar, a, an A-list, Schwarzenegger-level megastar, working with A-list directors, doing A-list projects, making A-list money and A-list box office. And, uh, you know, for all of his admitted and deserved success, he's never quite hit that level of, like, you know, supernova stardom. Again, I mean, this movie gets slept on and it's corny and it's silly and it's ridiculous and it is at times poorly acted, but it's just it's just so fun. Yeah, and I think as video game adaptations from that era go, it's one of the better ones for I know that's the bar is not high on that at all, but I think it's very entertaining and it's certainly a window into a moment of in time where Jean-Claude Van Damme was about to be a megastar. Tell me his speech to the troops before they defy orders and go take over General Bison was not the blueprint for Bill Pullman and Independence Day. (laughs) I think you're right. The 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Between him and Raul Julia and and their their epic tete-a-tete. 
I guess. Like, I'm, I'm, I actually just snorted because I'm imagining like a debate between Raul Julia and Jean-Claude Van Damme. But I don't know in what context, like them as people, them as characters. And it's just, it's, it's really fucking with my head. I mix eggnog with my coffee. So that might be why. That repartee and then just the the icing on the cake, the Raul Julia performance was just just something to behold, just a spectacle. Well, it's a movie that just delivers fan service to people that spent quarters upon quarters in the arcade waiting for movies to start because they always had Street Fighter in the arcades when mm-hmm. playing them, you know? And so like yeah. when Jean-Claude Van Damme does the, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, but the, the backflip kick. You know, the flash kick. On the flash kick, yeah. When he does that, everybody who's ever played Street Fighter is like, yeah, man. Uh-huh. Yep. Like, it got you so jazzed up. And they showed that in the trailer, and it worked. And, like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was, that's that's 100%, like, that was one of the things that got me psyched about it, popped me in the theater, and still remember to this day, and, and get a little bit tingly every time I see it. So, Jeremy, we want to thank you for being with us and for uh, regaling us with your tales of working at a movie studio in the mid 90s i mean a better backdrop i can't imagine just probably just <laughs> loads of cocaine and sunny delight um just all over the place and gushers and fruit by <laughs> the <laughs> gushers and dunkaroos and and, <laughs> and fruit by the foots and all just i don't know why all these executives are eating children's snacks maybe the cocaine <laughs> but it was just a whatever. heavy time you know anything just, went back in those days so thank you again for for your tales of uh, the inside workings of the Jean-Claude Van Damme hype machine and for indulging us in one of our earliest podcast episodes and one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me be a part of it. I really enjoyed it. Bro, here's where you can lead out with a great Van Damme quote from the movie. And it, it shouldn't be hard because they're all great quotes. Who wants to go with me? Who Something wants like to go home? And who wants to go with me? Now, who wants to go home? And who wants to go with me? With that said, uh, in closing, I think we can both agree, whether it be for nostalgia or Before for... Before we go, uh, this was our worst reviewed movie. So this this is especially impactful with our slogan. Okay. this was a 3.8 on IMDb. Oh, boy. Well... <laughs> That said, whether it's nostalgia or the love of a specific performance, I think we can agree that Street Fighter was, well, it wasn't, wasn't that bad. bad. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't. So we'll be back here with a couple more movies next time, and until then, we will see you later. All right, peace out. Street Fighter was produced by Capcom. It was distributed by Universal Pictures and Columbia TriStar Film. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from Street Fighter 2, the video game for Super Nintendo. If you can guess which character screen, I'll send you a cookie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ND Chance Cinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. Isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And think about the times 
when we used to spend hours in the arcade, sharing quarters with our buddies, and ignoring the rest of the world. Enjoy your day.